And I think this will open up more doors and much more opportunity for uh, different types of people or people who are like me and just need a little something different to keep their rowing fire alive. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix where the water is always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to savor real life experience from launch to cox seat at every level. We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with NASA Rowing Club in the Bahamas. With plenty of sunshine, gorgeous water, and social distancing measures, NRC has grown to be the largest rowing club in the Caribbean, offering Learn to Row, Juniors, Collegiate, and Master's programs. We admit we're pretty jealous and curious. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, would you leave us a brief review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. So here at Study State Network, we are really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make the people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. So Tara and I together have more than 50 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience. That's all been flat water rowing on rivers and lakes. So what do we know about coastal rowing? Uh, A little bit, but not a whole lot. So today we're talking with four coastal rowers, all with experience competing at World Rowing Coastal Championships. We have an amazing group of guests with us today. We have Mark Oria, Ben Booth, Hilary Sager, and Christine Rubino. Thanks everyone for being with us today. Yay. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so we're going to dig into coastal, but first and foremost, we want to know just how's your rowing week going? Uh, Mark, what's going on in your rowing world this week? That's pretty good. I mean, actually we are in the water, so it's great. The club is open. Um, I'm coaching the kids. So we've, we've been in the water um, every day. So that's fantastic. So I think it's, 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 it's good for them. We have races coming. So that's, that's a, that's a beauty. Few storms, but not bad. And you just recently became the head coach of it's greater Miami rowing. Great Miami. Uh, uh, rowing center, which I'm in charge of the crew. But yeah, that's that's uh, the new exciting. I started in mid-January. Yeah, congratulations. And that's Miami, Ohio. Ohio, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> no. It's a northern from Cincinnati. It's a 40 minutes ride from Cincinnati. Uh, and, and it was great because I started with seven kids and now I have 31. So no bad for just a month of work or a couple of months. Yeah, <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm so glad to hear you're on the water and things are moving forward for this season. I know that's something that a lot of programs are working towards right now. That, that's, yeah. that's something I hear. So I'm not, I'm not aware from other areas, um, but I, I, <laughs> I got feedback in Instagram, in, in, in media and in social media. 
and uh, people are getting mad because we are outside and we are maybe rowing without mask and and um, but I don't know we are following the rules here in Ohio and and we are being very careful but I understand that the frustration from other states as well. Yeah, Tara and I have talked about this watch, watching social media, where on the one hand, it's very exciting to see people back out on the water, but also like annoying because we are not currently rowing. Our clubs aren't on the water. So it's like ugh, raising our fists in the air, you know? Yeah. So, All right. yeah. Anyone else who's out rowing? Who's working out on the water? It's blowing like 50 mile an hour winds today. So I'm hoping for some major surf this week. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, you're so Hillary and Christine and Ben are all in Massachusetts area, right? Yeah. Okay, great. Ben is closer to the water, much closer. <laughs> and Ben, you really love the cold water. You really love the chopped, kind of the messier, the better for you, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, like when I have icicles hanging off my wetsuit, I'm like really happy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the fact that you said wetsuit in relation to rowing is awesome that's <laughs> that's totally badass that's cool. yeah it's a real eye-opener uh it's a real eye-opener i think as a flat water rower like we would never ever consider a wetsuit so hillary and christine are you guys training i just came off olympic trials and i'm taking a small break right now um i just raced about a month ago um and we're doing some packing now and getting ready to head out to california actually. And that's where we're going to do a bunch of coastal rowing, uh, traditional rowing, and a bunch of other activities. <laughs> Sounds fun. Uh, where in California are you headed? Newport Beach. Yeah, we have some friends out there as well. So we're going to try to get a little bit of a, a group going uh, and have some fun. <laughs> How was your experience at trials? Ah, uh, it was good. Um, I, I wasn't training at all this year and I wasn't actually planning on going <laughs> until maybe like a month and a half beforehand. I uh, started training with my doubles partner um, and that's when I first went out to California to train. Um, and we just kind of, I just kind of made up a training plan um, and then we just flew to Florida and just did the best we could. That's pretty excellent. I'm glad you got the opportunity to do that and kind of had the I don't know, even just the wherewithal to be like, well, I'm going to go give it a try. <laughs> just a 2K. Yeah, just a 2K. <laughs> we did actually did four 2Ks in four days uh, with weigh-ins every morning, which I think might have been the most in a row I've done before. Never really wore down or anything like that um, as much as you would think. So, which of the four was your best one? Do you think it was definitely a learning curve? Um, we hadn't raced against anybody for about two years until we got to that race. So the first time trial was just to execute a good 2K, nothing special. And then after that was our first race next to people. And then probably our race after that, we really started to figure ourselves out and how to race against next to people and how to push ourselves and how hard to push ourselves to get a good race in. And then uh, the fourth one, we had uh, a good race. It was just, uh, we just missed it by a second into the A final. Oh, a second, just mm. a second. The, wow. the rep was the best day. And we're talking about coastal rowing. The rep was the best day because it was 
nothing like coastal rowing. It's totally flat. The water was like nearly glass, no wind, just totally exactly what you want for a 2K. And that was my favorite day. I was there. That was my favorite day. Yeah. But, yeah. Coastal Coach. rowing, you're looking for something a little <laughs> on the opposite end of the scale there. But yeah. I think sometimes rowers don't know what to do with those perfect flat water days because some people <laughs> never train with those. I like uh, all kinds of water um, and I'm not going to lie, I get a little bored <laughs> in flat water. It's just like very like, yep, yep, yep. You just keep going around and around. There's nothing to think about. Um, which is You're in the coastal now. You're in the I know. Coastal. <laughs> I like being in bow because it lets me think and pay attention. Um, I have maybe too many years in racing that I start to get bored <laughs> in just flat water and it's just like, all right, just keep hammering on it, I guess. <laughs> so this is actually a really great lead in because our main audience at this point are flat water rowers, mostly folks that are paying attention to steady state. So for folks listening who are new to coastal rowing, um, Christine, could you tell us a little bit about it? What it is to me right now, because I still working on that <laughs> but in the beginning I think the most exciting part is that the water does change and it changes into this like adventure and you get to row out there on the water and find your own adventure and it doesn't matter what pattern you're rowing in or where you're rowing in it's going to change and you have to work with that and that's like what it is for me right now. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about the different racing formats? There's more types of racing in a coastal boat than there are in a flat water boat. And the types of racing that you do is maybe similar in distance, but totally different in what you're, what you're out there to accomplish. The format that I like the most, I think is actually the around the island stuff. Um, the competing with the buoy turns is something that I want to work on getting better at. <laughs> um, and then boost sprints I haven't done. I uh, tried to create my own little like opportunity for practicing that. Ben, could you tell us a little bit about what beach sprints are versus the longer courses? What do those really look like on race day? Sure. So yeah, the, there's the two international uh, style races that are really being promoted by FISA, right? You've got the internet, the um, endurance format, which is the four or six K, um, which is, you know, some bizarrely shaped chorus around buoys. And then you have the uh, beach sprint format, right? Which is the 500 meters on the water and it's around 50 meters to hundred meters sprinting. So 50 meters each way. Um, and so for the beach sprints, right? You've got a series of buoys in a straight line um you start on the beach right sprint out to your boat you know you make a mad dash through the water you've got a, a team that's handling your boat right so you've got people that you'll work with to hand off the oars so you get this kind of almost relay race style where one person throws the oar into your hand as you're jumping into the boat right you launch that thing out through the surf you know hopefully there's some surf right so you get this big wet splash over the bow um and then the goal from there is really to kind of ping right through the buoy so you keep 
keep as straight a line as possible going out to the stake turn, right, which is the furthest buoy. And that's 180 degree, you know, throw one oar in the water, rip the boat around the turn and sprint back. Um, as you sprint back, your goal is to catch a wave, right? So if you can catch a wave, your boat will start surfing. And once the boat starts surfing, it's like, forget it. Nobody's going to touch you. Um, the speed is, it's bizarrely fast, right? So I've had boats that I've broken, you know, been up to about 20 miles an hour in. Um, so you're looking at like low one minute, 500 meter split times. Um, right. So you ride that wave. Ideally, if you're good all the way to the beach, you know, you jump out of the boat and a big Superman leap and catch you two feet running up the shore to, um, to the finish line. I have so a question about, I have a question about that because, um, I mean, so I've done, I've done swim, bike, duathlons. So you, you know, you, you start on the shore, you do your swim, you come out, you have to run to your bike. And like that transition is always a little weird. Like those first few steps, your legs are like, what's happening? <laughs> you know, I've been swimming and now I'm running. And that's kind of what I envision ha happening. You jump out of your boat and you've gone from this horizontal drive to got to get back on your feet and get those legs moving through the sand. Yeah. And plus you, you're, generally stepping into water yeah. right out of the boat. So you, yeah. then you've got the weirdness of running through water and then you got to transition again from water to sand. Yeah. Right? You have that same triathlon transition, but you got like really multiple transitions within a couple of feet, you know, from boat yeah. to water, from water to sand. You can see it in the world championships you use or any other races in beach sprints. You can see that some of the athletes, they are not able to leave their knees up. So when they are running back because the quads are completely collapsed and they 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 fall they fell in the in the sand so they need to work on these transitions that's 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 really cool so if you hadn't listened to one of our podcasts this last episode was with nasa rowing club in the bahamas and they just packed up their junior rowers and took them to uh, something called exuma and they're all doing beach sprints. So they're doing these fantastic videos on their social media of these very fit kids running out to the beach. And my question about beach sprints is how important is are the people that are holding your equipment? Like, is it like NASCAR, like pit crew? Like you need, you need to pick some really good people. Like you're like, oh, I got, I got so-and-so and so-and-so on my pit crew out on the water. Like they're the best or, is that part of the whole lineup? Like if someone made a beach sprints lineup, they would say, okay, Ben, you're racing at this time and your crew is Mark, Hillary and Rachel. And you're like, yes. Or do you pick who helps you out? How's that work? So in theory, you work with your team. So you have your way you will to go in. So, and you adapt your way into the boat and actually you have to work with your boat handlers that they will give you the oars in the how you want. Mm -hmm. So actually it's part of the team and, and you have to work with them to, 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 to make the transition as fast as, 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 as you can. So usually um, they put the, the, the blades, they hold the blades on a square already. So you just need to grab the handles and pull and, but they have to, give you room one of the sides so you can get into the boat so they then they give you the oar so basically and there is sometimes if they allow 
allowed three boat handlers. One of them is pushing you and then is giving you the signs if you are going in the right direction or not. So they are part of the team. It's not just the rower. It's part of the, the boat handlers are part of the team. Yeah, and I'd like to emphasize the uh, pushing part too, right? So <laughs> think about, you know, the beach sprints are new, right? So, but as they develop over the years, you know, to put it into context, think about a 2K race, right? Think about how big a difference a four second margin is in 2K. It's pretty epic, right? So now you, you condense that to a 500 meter sprint. These things are going to be within like fractions of seconds you know, like a blowout is going to be considered like one second ahead, right? They're short, compact races. So let's say if you have, you know, some seven foot six monster that can power lift us, you know, an airplane and you get that guy to push you, right? And can get your boat from zero to full speed <laughs> in one push. <laughs> that critical second, which in a short race like that is like, you know, that's, well, that's priceless. All right. So there's beach sprints. And then we're also talking about longer form races that are like four to six K. Yeah. There could be out and backs, like out to an island and back or around one. That sounds like what um, the sound rowers group does out here. You might know about them uh, where they go around Bainbridge Island or they go around. Uh, they have a, an event in the fall called the sausage pull. You have to prove that you're capable in order to do that one. So then are there just straight distance races also? Like 5K, like a head race, but in like coastal water? They exist in Europe. So it's pretty, so now, I mean, the world championships, they, the international um, is the ones that you set a course of four or five Ks with different turns, different shapes. Uh, but the, the origin of, of coastal rowing was in France in the late 80s. So, and then usually they had races in one stretch way and back to, I don't know, different distances depending on what they, what they want. So uh, this is, uh, 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 I remember, so basically my first experience in, in coastal was going up to France and, and doing these long races along the coast. And, and it was a lot of boats, it was fantastic. It was a nice experience into the coastal. And then they introduced over time these circuits or these turned um, uh, competitions later. And, and now it's part of the world championships. But these are, the course, they change depends on the organizers. And, and, the, and the location and space really yeah. of where you are, yeah. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network and on Twitter at Steady State Row. Sign up for our e-newsletter and become a patron at SteadyStateNetwork.com. And we're back with our Coastal Rowing panel. Give me like, give us like a supply list. Like, what do you need to do a coat? Like if someone's like, what do I need to do a coastal boat? You need a boat that has what? Like what makes it a coastal boat? It's big and heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and you need a cart to move it. <laughs> Unless you're Ben, then you don't. 
He's just, up, he's just up over heads, ready up. Yeah. You know? So one one thing to clarify, I think what we're all talking about here today specifically is Fisa style coastal rowing. And so these boats yeah. are are, yeah. are racing boats versus there are wider, probably even more stable, like leisure rowing boats. But I think the four of our guests here today are um, all talking about FISA style coastal rowing. And these boats have a very specific design, um, but they are coastal uh, 1X, 2X, 4X generally. Does a four have a coxswain? Quad yeah. is coxed. Quad, yep. yeah, excuse me, the quad. Fun. The yeah. There is some there is some manufacturer. I don't think it's a racing hull, but there is a manufacturer in Europe uh, that produces a three person coastal boat. Have you seen this? Uh, no. Oh, I'll I'll send you the link. It looks pretty interesting. I saw that. Oh yeah. yeah. My question is, does the coxswain get a seatbelt for that? <laughs> no. Because you can imagine they're just like you know bouncing. You get a life jacket. You okay. get a life jacket okay. on. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's <laughs> part of my question. Yeah, so there are there are PFDs if there's a coxswain. Nobody else is wearing one, probably. Are you wearing no. low profile? Okay. You should then, have them in the boat. I mean, for oh, a, yeah. this kind of long races, you should have them in the boat and accessible to each rower. Sure. Um, yeah. And but if the the conditions are really bad, they 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 should put them in. So I yeah. had to put the the PFD jacket once because the, the the conditions were terrible and then everybody got was getting scared. And we roll with the with the PF <laughs> jackets. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, Are the oars a different make than than uh, what you might get at Concept Two? Are they sturdier? Are they different shape or different size? Like uh, like in adaptive rowing, our oars don't have crossover. Do they have crossover like flat water rowing? The oars you can use the same oars you use for rowing now. Uh, you just need to change the inboard and the outboard. But you can I go think... and order from Croker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they're working on designing a coastal horse. Um, and Ben has some that are reinforced and they're white. They don't look like regular rowing oars. I know about that, but I haven't heard much more on that. And I don't, I don't have a set of coastal oars. Now you can, you can use, you can carry over any equipment that you want to coastal, right? So all the oars are standard. Um, you know, the seats will all be familiar where they slide. It's like all the yeah. rigging and stuff. It's the same oar locks, the same spread. Everything is basically the same for flat water at a at an entry level, right? As you get further yeah. into coastal rowing, you know, you want to tweak your rigging accordingly. Like I, I don't rig my, you know, coastal boat the same way I would rig a flat water boat. Mm, uh, yeah, that's no. getting nuances but as far as entry and enter into the sport yeah whatever oars you have just take them, yeah. use them <laughs> and then in terms of wetsuit no wetsuit is that just <laughs> is that just race specific you just dress appropriately for the water that you're in and you know yeah. ahead of time how cold it is and how you would have to save yourself like am i going to be dressed in the mustang survival suit you know if i'm out <laughs> in my single <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna wet, and normally, I mean, for beach sprint, you have to grab the water and hop into your boat so that water will be going everywhere, and then you have to go hard. So you don't want to be cold when you have to start working hard, you know. So True. definitely, 
wear the wetsuit when it's like that, but I, I highly doubt we'll have many races when we need a wetsuit. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the wetsuit comes in specifically for Ben because for he ben. likes to do yeah. a lot of training <laughs> in the cold. That's okay. like that's his jam. <laughs> but I also know yeah. that wetsuits are black. So I'm hoping that you, Mr. Mr. Ben, are in high visibility being out in coastal water because you're out there with traffic, like actual traffic. Real boats, no? No, no. Like, Not where Ben is. <laughs> think about like, you know, that, that whole setup. It's wintertime, it's cold. <laughs> you know, there's nobody around. Is you know, so there's no boat traffic. Where I'm <laughs> going, you know, I'm, it's actually too rough for, for most boats. Um, okay, know. there's a bunch of red flags going up for me now. He's yeah. out in water that's too cold for anyone else to be in. There's no one else around. And <laughs> Like, my, co my coach red flags are like ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the outlier you know so it's kind of like the do what i say know what i do thing be yeah. safe everyone yeah. i think this will be our first episode where we have to put a disclaimer like yeah. please don't try this at home <laughs> i love that um so actually since we're already talking about equipment i think that it uh we should definitely talk with ben a bit about next boat works and the coastal one x that you're working on it's i know you've been uh been developing this new boat for a while now and it's like just about to hit the market is that right yep we're hitting market this summer um oh, excellent yeah multiple years i mean designed the boat originally probably five years ago um and just bringing it all all that way to market and what's really taken uh so much time is we're doing it blank slate ground up you know how i was saying basically you can just carry over flat water equipment that's what a lot of the coastal boat design has done they've taken over flat water components everything and just put them into the coastal boat and so our plan has been to revisit that and actually look at designing components specifically for coastal right so we've recreated everything from the foot stretcher to the seat to the track to the wheels um you know like we literally reinvented the wheel um you know took out metal bearings and stuff from the wheels so it's all um composite components so that you're reducing your salt um corrosion and wear um so it's been yeah like pretty epic and and a really fascinating journey in so many respects you know because when we started it we were kind of like ah oh, how come nobody really innovates with you know components and equipment and now four years later and, you know, and there you are the well, the boat. engineers were like okay now we know why it's expensive and hard <laughs> expensive the boat looks beautiful from the photos that i've seen yeah. it really stands out in the crowd um recently i heard an interview with some guys from swift and uh, Swift Racing, and basically they were saying like their coastal boat or boats are just a rehash of what everybody else is doing with coastal boats. And I thought that was really interesting that they just fessed up to it. They're like, there's nothing new here. They're all the same. And here you are saying, well, what can we do better to make it faster, lighter, and engineered better? Yeah, not brought to you by Swift Racing, this podcast. <laughs> not brought to you. Yeah, could, be, could be brought to you by Rebel, though. Right, and which Ben's, Ben's boat is probably safer too, you know. So we were, we were really um, 
stringent about not introducing any leak points, right? So all of our components are mounted without um, through hole fastenings, right? So everything is, we're using um, the same fastenings they use for like, you know, fighter jets and stuff. Um, so it's surface mount um, fastenings that don't penetrate the skin, um, which is, you know, cause as we're talking about my potentially irresponsible um, leanings and coastal rowing, it's like, you know, I'm getting waves over my head. So my boat for half throw is like underwater, you know? Yeah. And so I need both the bottom and the top of it to be as watertight as, as need yeah. be. Do you take uh, a bailer with you? No, the boats all self bail and that's a requirement. Under the like, uh, imagine just pumping out the boat, junk, 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 yeah. you know? And the uh, cool thing, thing I, I was able to get over to Ben's um, place where he rose and demo uh, one of the prototypes for the, the Rebel. And the coolest thing is that since there's no room for the water to sit in there, because if you're in like a normal style, like the Swift um, style, that transom on the stern side just fills up with water. And they could have, you could have over like 15 gallons of water for more than 10 seconds, like sitting with you in the boat, holding you down, not letting you turn, not letting you move. And it's not the same when you're in Ben's boat. There's no way you can get 15 gallons of water inside the, like where the boat could hold water. And there's just no way. <laughs> yeah. And that's something awesome. we can all understand is flat water row. Oh, yeah. It's awful when you're, it's like sloshing around in there. Yeah. <laughs> like for yeah. Yeah. This, you know, I, I teach the masters learn to row. And one of our rules is like, if the water is up to your heel cups, you know, <laughs> raise <laughs> your hand, and raise your hand. <laughs> that's a problem I'll come by with a sponge and i'll extract the water for right. you <laughs> yeah. this is a little different it's a little different different safety procedures can't wait to try one ben i mean can can't wait quick question about so you boat has a stern mm -hmm. yeah so how change the floatability of the stern and how that navigates when you have a green wave and you catch a green wave it changed completely the feeling i'm sure yeah, this boat actually is is insanely fast when it surfs, um, and it, it because the the bow and the stern are very balanced, right? And so the the stern has like tons of buoyancy, so it lifts with the wave, right? Because we brought even though we brought the stern more narrow, we brought the stern deck higher, right? And so you have, have a lot of air. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so you have more air trapped, so you have that reserve buoyancy. But because the stern is narrower, it is also more balanced with the bow, right? So you get less push from the stern, so the boat will yeah. track better. Um, so you'll be able to get a longer surfing run before the boat wants to really swerve. Okay, it's more difficult to get the straight in a wave in surfing or not? No, it's easier yeah. because uh, like I was yeah. saying, it's, it's balanced about a stern, so it doesn't spin as readily. Um, and the reverse bow actually, it kind of sinks a little bit and locks the bow in place. And so you almost have like two fins, one in the bow, one in the stern. So the boat kind of gets on these rails and just goes, uh, I've got this great video with me just kind of sitting there, you know, looking around. <laughs> Please send that. Tara's <laughs> raising her hand, which I've never seen her do during an like, interview. She's like, um. <laughs> <laughs> like for the people listening, you can't see that both Rachel and I are like oh, green wave. Like, what's a green wave? 
Number two, what's a green wave, number one? And number two, does this boat have a skeg? So a green wave is just something that's so big, you know, it's picked up all the green water of the ocean with it, right? As opposed to say like a smaller wave, which would just be more of like a white cap, right? Kind of like this little foamy. So when you, in nautical speak, when you say like green water over the bow, you know, you're, you're talking about a full on like massive solid water wave. Like one of those, if I was a little kid swimmer on the beach, I'd like run out to, to try and like kick and surf back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a wave you want. It's a wave you want. It's a good (laughs) wave. It's a fancy you ask. (laughs) Okay. And then, and then is there a skeg on these boats? There is. It's unlike any other skeg out there. Yes. Our, our skeg is. Yeah, you can adjust it, um, make it longer or shorter, depending on what you need the boat to do and what kind of stuff the water's doing. You can set it up and you can adjust it in mid-row if you have the opportunity, if you change like around the island, one side of the island is like huge waves, you know, like just huge rollers. And then the other side is like quiet and glass. You can make a different setting so you can travel through the water with Ben's boat, with all the other ones, it's just like a paddleboard fin under there and it just stays there. And it comes to be a really big problem when you have low carts and you have a competition that's full of concrete and you drag those boats in the low carts across, you see the end of the competition, the fins were rounded and then the fins are flat right there where where they hit the concrete. Oh, because you've dragged uh, along the concrete. Tragedy. It's a big yeah. tragedy. Yeah, the last race of the day, some of those people were missing a piece of their fin. It was gone. Oh, man. Oh, well, gosh. that sounds like a really interesting um, new development then in, in fin technology. So we'd actually love to talk about the boat more I, I I'm and get in one one of these days. Um, yes, take us, oh, bo- take us coastal rowing. We yeah, would. yeah. Um, all right. One thing that we love to hear uh, is how people got involved in rowing. So we're going to like take a little turn here away from equipment. And um, I was wondering, uh, Hillary, if you could tell us how you got involved in rowing, how did you get started? Um, So I started in college, like a lot of people do as a walk on. Um, I was competitive in high school uh, with like track and field and field hockey. Um, And then in college, I wanted to do a different sport. So I walked on to rowing. Um, and then that's where I first started rowing in college. What kind of got you hooked? Do you remember? So I am a naturally competitive person um, in this Division One school. And I didn't want to do track and field anymore. And they did not have field hockey. Um, and my friend's roommate was a coxswain on the rowing team. And this was my only way to get onto a competitive sports team in college. Um, And I was back when they had, you know, uh, phones attached to the wall in your dorm room. And they would call us every morning and be like, well, tomorrow you have practice. And I would just kind of show up if I got the phone call. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And made it practice every morning Um, and just kind of just, you know, I just love the scene of, you know, being in a an environment with a bunch of 
other competitive women and, you know, doing this thing together. Um, truthfully, I'm not sure if, you know, rowing was my draw or was it the atmosphere that I was drawn to. Um, and as I got more into sculling, I think I fell in love with sculling more than sweep rowing. Um, yeah. Really honing in on your body and working it as hard as you can, you know, in a single and a double and making that type of boat move um, after college when I finally got into sculling that I really, really fell in love with. We, we hear that often about the competitive spirit and, and people who really find a good home with team and nature uh, combined, yeah. you know, there you go. There you go. And then after college, I joined Riverside boat club um, and became a competitive lightweight women's rower. Um, and a little bit, to intertwine my rowing and coaster rowing. I also was part of the orienteering national team growing up, um, which is a lot of navigating with a map and a compass. Um, and so it kind of meshes my two uh, sports that I was highly competitive in um, with rowing and orienteering to bring me to coaster rowing. Um, and I had a friend in Hong Kong who's my double partner, also Aaron Roberts, who I raced with in this previous uh, Olympic trial, lightweight women's double. He was in Hong Kong and asked if we wanted to go over there and race in the coastal championships. Um, and I had just uh, decided not to do lightweight women's running that year in 2019 and go and do this race with uh, my friend Aaron Roberts. Um, and Christine also was interested in coastal rowing at the time. So it was a natural transition for me to go into coastal rowing at the time. Mark, uh, what about you? How did you get started in rowing? Wow. Yeah, I was in, it's a little bit different in Europe than here. Um, it's, it was 30 years ago. So it was in middle school and, um, and so rowing it there and, it's not as strong in college. We don't have these big teams as, as you have here in the US. So basically it's run by clubs, um, all the rowing at least in Spain. Um, and then they have recruit little kids uh, to start rowing, to start schooling. So we started schooling always. And, and then I got really engaged with the sport right away. So uh, for me it was, Arriving there, I was coming from basketball and, and track, and I was invited to rowing. So, okay, come and try rowing because a friend of mine went to uh, Eric Learn to Row <laughs> event, and he called me back and said, Mark, I try a machine that as you pull harder, the numbers went down. So what the heck are you talking about to me? So you pull a machine and the numbers goes down instead of going up. So for me, the brain went, went out. <laughs> now wow. I know why. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, then I tried rowing. And, uh, and then for me, it was surprising that I was fitter and in more and taller than a lot of kids. Mm. But they were beating me. And bull my blood. I, I, I couldn't 
say, no, that's not possible. I, I, I should be faster than them. I should be faster than them. And then was keep, keep, keep growing and trying and training just to be faster than them. And then I learned that it's technique and it's uh, uh, a lot of, uh, it's special, it's a special sport. Yeah, and you've been coaching for a couple decades now, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I start with little kids. So they give me the the middle schoolers training just a couple of three days a week. And uh, and then they give me then high schoolers. And then they give me, we call the seniors, but it's like actually is the masters after college. So it's a club. It's a club. It's not just as the masters as we saw masters here and then i finish uh was the head coach of the whole club the maritime of barcelona and then i moved to london and then i moved to the states so yeah that was my transition i'm curious um about how uh ben and uh christine got involved in rowing as well ben could you tell us uh where where you grew up and how you got in a boat for the first time Sure. I grew up on Cape Cod and um, got into a boat to get onto the water. Um, so it was more a, a love of the sea and nature first. And then the, you know, cheap little kind of rowing skiff was the means. All right. So the, the rowing came second. Um, the water came first. And, you know, the only boat that I could get available was, like I said, the little little rowing boat. And so I'd get the little rowing boat out there and row it all over and pretend I was some sort of hardcore, you know, sea dog and you know, row this ridiculous little bathtub of, boat, of a boat, you know, across bays, along the coast. I would do, you know, these all day long journeys with the thing. Um, and so fell into love with rowing from that, you know, so it was just that you know, I'm a very physical person, you know, um, you know, very athletic in general in my life. And so just that idea of moving myself with my own body connected to this craft, you know, across the water, it was just like, you know, poetry in a, in a way. I yeah. love that. The idea of self-propulsion. I think uh, I work in the adaptive sphere also, and that's a big deal in the adaptive sphere yeah. is self-propulsion and human powered. And I think when I teach learn to row also, I'm like, look, you did that. Like you made, you know, made that happen. And for some people, it can be a very life affirming uh, kind of moment to realize they have that under their power and they have that under control, of course, with mother nature, you know, kind of uh, playing a big part of it as well. So we've met a lot of people who feel that way. I'm so glad you had parents that let you just, you know, go out into the, the, the waves. Well, about what information is relayed. <laughs> you know, True. You know, Maybe there all, might have been, not everything was disclosed, potentially. Right. I was always back on time. <laughs> How was your day, son? Well, just fine. Good. Seagulls and ducks, and it was great. <laughs> you know. Christine, what about you? Uh, okay, so my story, similar to Hillary, how she said a lot of people start off as a walk-on. That was me as well. Um, was taking the bus to campus, saw a girl with a rowing shirt on, and then the next day saw an ad in the school paper for rowing. No experience required, you know, just come on and show up and saw the girl the next day on the tram and I asked her about it and she's told me where to go 
And I went and I kept showing up. So they kept letting me come to practice. <laughs> and so I kept coming to practice and it was realized pretty quickly that my athletics and being on a team, having a support group was helping me stay on track with my academics. And so I just wanted to be at school to row and I had to do all these things for my major. Like you have to have a certain percentage of your major completed by sophomore year, you know? So I had to do that so I could still row <laughs> because you couldn't row if you didn't have all your academics in order. And so that was kind of me. Um, and I finished school. Uh, eventually in the end school came first and I had to like cut out my last season because I had like over 25 hours of credits to complete and they were all very early in the morning there's just no way to manage it so that's where I started and was sweep and I love rowing but you just you know graduate and you move on nothing happened for years and then I picked up a coaching job at Nathan Benderson Park and I was coaching sculling and I had never sculled before because I was sweep rower. So then I started taking out the same boats that I was giving lessons in and I started to try to figure out how to row. <laughs> and um, thank God soon after that, I met Hillary and she taught me how to row. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then my rest of my rowing career kind of starts there, I guess you could say. So do you know if the, if the, the fire really was lit in you when you started in college or when you got to learn to row with Hillary? Like, is that where rowing really became a, a part of you? Like, I think all of us can argue that at some point rowing became in just ingrained in who we are and our DNA became, yeah. you know, we, we mutated if you will, that, yeah. and rowing became part of our DNA. And, and I'm curious, cause you've had two learn to row experiences, really the way that you're saying it, do you feel like that later aversion was what really got you to fall in love with the sport? Um, it's kind of like rowing was important and I knew I connected to it in college, but you graduate and you leave and you remember your coach telling you like, this could be the last time in your life you actually push your body this hard. And I graduated thinking like, maybe she was right. Like a couple years late, later, you're like, maybe she was right. Maybe I'm not going to do anything hard anymore with my like athletics. And I was coaching it. And then when I went out in a double with Hillary and she sort of gave me the, you know, rowing 101, I knew in that moment that the connection I was looking for with rowing was in sculling. And it was, at a high performance level. And I knew I could do it with sculling and I wanted to really bad after that. And uh, after like having this realization and then still looking for the connection, like rowing is important, but I don't know if I'm really thrilled about the 2K, you know, it's like, that's not quite fun. And then taking all these skills that Hillary taught me in demoing a coastal boat and understanding that the connection is there and you just have to put the right equipment on the right water and you'll find it. 
I think we're so we're so uh, aware of the moments that rowing really transforms us. And we can all pinpoint, you know, that time or that row or that person who was so influential. And I think we're, this is a great representation, this particular group of a coach, a, uh, an adventurer, if you will, Olymp you know, national team level folks, uh, just such a great representation of where rowing can take you uh, internally. And, yeah. and, and also now with coastal rowing, I think it opens up, once travel opens up, I think it, it, yeah. It's a future for a lot of people who may be uh, not wanting to go back to a sweep master's uh, rowing program and they want to try something more yeah. adventurous. So that's our next question is, what are your visions for the future of coastal rowing? Uh, maybe in the United States specifically, but just in, in general, like where do you see row coastal rowing going? Because each of you are involved in some sort of advocacy for the sport uh, with U.S. rowing or with uh, organizations your own uh, or otherwise. So what do you see as the vision for Coastal? I think for what is new in the U.S. completely, but also in Europe, pretty new, it's the beach prints part of the Coastal rowing event. So that that the first one was um, really uh, in the Mediterranean Games in 2015, but only in China in 2019 was the first uh, world championship beach sprint. So I think this is completely new for everyone. But what I see is this gonna it's gonna be a growing sport. It's gonna become Olympic um, sport. What I see it's gonna get more people into it. It's gonna get really really competitive. And as Ben mentioned before, it's a really short race. So. At the end, everything is going to become the difference between teams or, or races is going to be just seconds. So it's going to become really technical. It's going to be, become any mistake you're going to pay it uh, on the race. So I think it's uh, it's good. We're going to see an evolution on the beach wins for sure, and um, and uh, it's going to be an amazing journey for for all of us that we are trying to grow this in the US. Yeah. Yeah, so just last year US rowing convened a coastal rowing committee and I'm pretty sure all of you are on it, right? I mean. Oh, okay, so but Ben, <laughs> Hillary and Mark, you're all on the on US rowing's coastal coastal committee. And I think that that came out of uh, recognition that coastal rowing is going to be on the 2028 games uh, card, right? As well as a, an earlier a junior Olympics. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, in Dakar, exactly. And so I think U.S. rowing is realizing that we're kind of behind behind <laughs> uh, several steps and are, are trying to get caught up in uh, recognizing that there as the national governing body of rowing uh, should be taking the lead on coastal rowing development as well. So last year, I got involved with a brand new all-volunteer run organization called Go Coastal Rowing, which promotes and supports FISA coastal rowing in the United States. And we're keeping our finger on the pulse of coastal in Canada and the Caribbean. We have working relationships with U.S. rowing and world coastal rowing in an effort to bring coastal to more communities. I think it's also pretty exciting that just a couple days ago, U.S. rowing announced four coastal rowing development camps coming up in May and June. 
these camps are intended to introduce experienced U19 and U23 rowers to the world of coastal rowing with the added pretty sweet goal of helping identify athletes for U.S. Rowing's upcoming 2021 Beach Sprints National Team Trials, which are scheduled for June 19th in Sarasota, Florida. So we know that that's all coming up and that U.S. Rowing is working to get up to speed on it. Yeah, low barrier to entry, but um, a high ceiling of development. Sure, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. The vision that I have is like around the country, organize a circuit that's like out in California where we're looking to go to Newport Beach. They have that Catalina Island that's right off the coast. So like one time a year, an annual around the island, like Hong Kong's doing every year around the island. Like the U.S. needs to find its little around the islands. And I know Blackburn is something that Ben does and it has been going on much, much more before I was born. And that's sort of what I see is having these annual races that rowers just genuinely want to go to like Green Mountainhead for um, flatwater rowers is this weird out and you turn and then you come back and it's just a fun race that everyone loves to look forward to and your prizes are a bag of apples and maple syrup or something and it's nothing that's official it's just something that we all look forward to doing every year and I see stuff like that coming up with the beach sprint competitors but honestly I mean this team is so small (laughs) and your practice is you know on the beach and these other things that you can do with the coastal boat, I think are gonna be like a lot more appealing. And if it gets you in the boat and then you find out that you can do a beach sprint and you're not just hopping in anymore, you're like, oh, I've been rowing this thing around the island. I could probably do this 500, you know? That's what I see sort of coming through is people going out for the adventure and then maybe coming out a competitor, but you don't always have to choose one or the other, you know, you can do these different stuff with the coastal boat. And I think more things like that are going to start happening. Yeah. I think right now there are just, there are only a few hot spots, right. Of coastal rowing in the United States. We've got out on the West coast, California, we've got Washington, there's up New England, um, some spots in Florida, but there just aren't a lot of coastal rowing clubs. There also just aren't a lot of coastal boats in the United States right now. I mean, I've been talking with some folks who literally are like, there are so few that we could make a list of them right now. Back <laughs> um, to equipment, right? Yeah. Yeah, for equipment. <laughs> but um, Ben, you mentioned um, before we sat down today that you were working to develop a coastal rowing uh, club in Massachusetts. Could you tell us just a little bit about that and what you see coming from that that program? Yeah, I mean, a really super simple kind of gra- grassrootsy sort of thing. I mean, I've got lifetime experience in coastal rowing and I'm going to have a handful of boats, <laughs> um, you know, and so I've, I've been doing quite a bit of coaching and just sort of taking it to a little bit of a more formal place and, you know, inviting people to come and I'll be doing lots of um, private small group stuff, um, workshops and clinics and consultation. Um, so, and I know there's a lot of rowers in this area, you know, so it's, um, 
it, just creating an outlet for those people to try the sport and a place to to train you know i'm like uh depending on your traffic or where exactly you are i'm like an hour hour and a half south of boston and a half hour from providence you know and so it's a super attainable space for established rowers who want to start getting into coastal to be able to come down to um, a coastal location um, that has equipment there um, that has a coach there and can just start getting getting out uh, i can't wait to try it i know out here in the pacific northwest because we had that big championships up in bc and british columbia yeah. there a lot of people got fired up about it and then covid of course mm -hmm. squashed uh, our opportunities to go across the border but they're they're loving it up up in Canada, you know, and uh, we're lucky to be here in the Northwest so close to all of that. So I would imagine in Seattle, it's going to take off. Um, like I said, we have sound rowers and bay shells, Tyler Peterson's company, which makes those boats. And Hillary, did you have any last thoughts about the vision of the future of coastal, coastal rowing? Um, I guess for a vision of coastal rowing, I think they'll just open up a lot of doors for different people because you have the 500 meter race. 4Ks, you have 6Ks, and then you have like 20Ks, you know, you have all this different opportunities for different type of rowers that like different things. And everybody in rowing is for their place and, you know, where they fit in. And I think this will give other rowers a place to fit in and feel more welcome and have more fun um, and try new things um, other than the, the traditional rowing and the 2Ks, I think this will open up more doors and much more opportunity for uh, different types of people or people who are like me and just need a little something different to keep their rowing fire alive. <laughs> I love that. That's great. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. Okay, so our rapid fire, we do this at the end of every show, and we're just going to ask all of you all the questions, I think. Right, Rachel? We're going to Yeah, that sounds all. good. Okay, so first question, port or starboard? Skull. <laughs> what do you want? Right. Port. <laughs> port. Both. Okay. Skull. All right, uh, bow seat or stroke seat? <laughs> bow. Bow. People will get hurt, but I choose bow. <laughs> Stroke. Great. Uh, well, this one will be easy. Salt water or fresh water? Salt. 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 Both. <laughs> uh, head race or sprint race? Ooh, we need to readjust this question for this group, uh, Tara. Okay, so <laughs> beach sprints or... Okay. Or endurance. <laughs> Sprint yeah. or long distance? How yeah. about that? Sprint or long distance? Ooh, when I'm feeling young, a sprint. When I'm feeling my age, endurance. Okay. <laughs> I'm a class endurance. <laughs> endurance. I would say endurance, but coaching sprints. Uh, okay, so for those of you who've had the experience of having a coxswain, the, your favorite coxswain command to receive way enough <laughs> i'll go okay mark do you mm. have one in spanish is extra points yeah <laughs> so I, and it's difficult to explain but it was weight because 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. But the, a boy was coming to us and I was struggling. I was getting anxious. And, and, and he was saying, wait, 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 wait. He was telling, wait, wait. And then when the boat was next to us, he said, Mark, now. Oh, that was. Uh, I get chills. Exactly. You can imagine. That's the best. That's the best. Wait or the now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The wait was your least favorite. The now. Was the now was the one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for rowing, uh, unisuit or tank and trow? Tank and trow. <laughs> uni. <laughs> uni. And uni. And then coffee before or after you row? Neither. All the time. <laughs> Both. <laughs> For me, it's after. Well, Mark, Ben, Christine, and Hillary, thank you so much. This has been such a blast, and we've learned so much about coastal rowing. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you had a good time. It's been really nice catching up with all of you. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to talk with us, uh, teach us a bit about coastal, and help our listeners learn more about coastal. And I can't wait to keep in touch with you. I'm sure that we will be in touch talking about coastal. And uh, let's see what happens, you know, in the next couple of years with this. Thanks, everyone. Yay! Thank you. Thanks, Bye-bye. everybody. Oh, Thank fantastic. you. All right. Bye. Have a great day. We'll talk with you soon. Have a okay. Great day. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. To see photos of our guests featuring coastal rowing, along with links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in the episode, check out the show notes on our website. At Steady State Network, we believe wholeheartedly in the importance of inclusion at all levels and investing in rowers, coaches, and leaders who believe the same. Your Patreon commitments help support our education initiatives and podcast. It keeps the coffee mugs full for Friday coffee chats and ergs tuned up for Steady State Sundays. And your support sustains subscriptions and hosting that keeps it all running. Today, we're sending a big thank you to Grace, Patricia, Jennifer, Kelly, Lisa, Nick, Kate, Dave, Kim, and Claire. You're all really important to us. Everyone can join our lineup. Find out more about our Patreon levels and benefits at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. Did you know that Steady State is more than a podcast? We've got virtual events happening every week that bring together the rowing community from across the country and around the world. Because we miss morning practices and really miss post-practice coffee with teammates, you're invited to join us for 30-minute coffee chat every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Facebook Live and Instagram Live. Grab your favorite mug and join the conversation. And join us for Steady State Sundays every weekend on Zoom Ergos. During these 60-minute Steady State Erg workouts, we chat and provide cues to keep you motivated. Arrive warmed up, stay as long as you want, and stick around after to check. We're also excited to be a media partner for the one-of-a-kind Para Rowing Global Meetup Series hosted by Seize the Oar Foundation. These free sessions are open to all Para Rowing coaches, athletes, admins, and fans to talk, connect, and strategize for Para Rowing success in 2021. Register for the April 20th Meetup today. To find out more about any of our events and claim your spot in our lineup, visit steadystatenetwork.com slash events. In two, 
let it run. That's one, two, let it run. <laughs>